I'm in a sermon series that I've, I'm calling Influence. Really, I put it together as a leadership series. But knowing that 70% of people don't have a leadership profile, if you do the testing, only 30%, I changed the name of this to Influence, the series name. And the reason is, though we may not consider ourselves a leader, every one of us would probably like to be a good influence. And all of these scriptures and all of these attributes that I'm talking about are applicable in all of our lives to be a good influence. So let's keep that in mind as we go. Oswald Sanders said this, leadership is influence. The ability of one person to influence others. And I'm calling this sermon today, Leading with a Good Attitude. So we're talking about influencing. If you want to influence people, if you want to influence others, if you want to be a person who leads the way, you have to have a good attitude. You think of sports and what attitudes can mean to teams. If one or two people have a bad attitude, it can permeate a whole team and mess the whole thing up. I read about Vince Lombardi, not known for his affection and compassion as a coach, Green Bay legendary coach, football coach, championship coach. He said that some people think it's X's and O's uh, that make great teams. Some people think it's great coaching or great players. But he said, really, if you want to have a championship team, the players have to love each other. Now, coming from Vince Lombardi, I thought that was an interesting quote. Uh, This guy who was known for being tough. He said, that guy that's blocking on the line has to say, if I don't do my job, then my quarterback, Paul, will get his leg broken, and he's got to love Paul so much that he takes care of business right in front of him. And I thought, you know, if that kind of attitude permeates not only a team um, in sports, but a business place or a church, you can see how a good attitude would make a difference, and a bad attitude uh, can bring destruction. Now, here's a scripture that I think sums up a good attitude. As a matter of fact, Quite often, not every day, but quite often, when my feet hit the floor, I quote this scripture when I get out of bed. That's not all I do. Sometimes I say, ow, I pulled a muscle getting out of bed recently. I'm I'm getting older, and uh, it's catching up to me. But usually when my feet hit the floor, often I should say, I'm saying this scripture, this is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. I'm getting up and reminding myself, because listen, um, there are things about this, this ministry that the Lord's given and the responsibility he's given me that are very tough. There are 100 employees associated with the church and the schools and the daycare. There's over a $6 million budget annually. They call me the president of the corporation and the executive officer. Believe me, there's a lot more to do around here than just preach. And, um, and, and there are times that I, that I just feel pressure that's incredible and it happens on a regular basis. My life is filled with pressure points. So when I hit the floor, I just remind myself that the Lord has made this day, that I'm gonna rejoice in it, that I'm trusting in him, that every good answer for everything we have, he'll bring it to us as we follow him. And I think it's a good way to live your life, to rejoice in him and say, this is your day, Lord, now you lead me in it. I wanna pray before I start sharing these three points. Father, Lord, as we think of good attitude, uh, we know that we really can't have the right attitude without applying your scripture and believing your truth and receiving from you. So I pray that you'd lead us all to a place, Lord, a place that's the best place, a place that your word tells us to go, a place with a good attitude. Let it be, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So three things I wanna share with you about good attitudes today, and the first is this. God wants us to think good thoughts. 
Now, when it comes to your thoughts, I'm going to give you an origin for thoughts. There's a thought that just comes from yourself. You think all of your thoughts come that way, but they don't. There are other ways you get thoughts. But, you know, you're, you have a brain and a makeup and a personality and you're wired and you'll have a thought. That's self. You'll have a self-thought at times. Then you'll have a thought that can just fly into your heart or mind that comes from an enemy. The enemy of our souls. And he can whisper something in your ear like he did to Jesus. Throw yourself down from this temple. Well, Jesus resisted that. He quoted scripture. And those are thoughts that are not good. And sometimes we don't know that those bad thoughts uh, come from the enemy. Like a thought, any thought that says take your life. The origin of that is the, is the enemy of our souls, the devil himself, because he comes to steal, to kill and destroy. So we should be able to recognize that thought. That's not even, uh, I, I mean, the way God has wired us, we're not wired to hurt ourselves. Uh, we're wired for self-preservation. And so when those thoughts come, you know it's the enemy, but there are lots of thoughts he can put in your, uh, you know, try to get you to buy into. He can't do an inward work. He can't live in the life of a believer. He cannot possess a believer. The Bible tells us darkness and light can't dwell together. But he can shoot a thought in, and if you take it, now you start to be influenced by him because you took his thought, and, and you'll make some wrong decisions. Then there's thoughts that come from God. God, and we don't recognize those sometimes. They're great thoughts. They're thoughts because he loves us and thoughts he'll put in our hearts and minds, and we ought to give him more credit for those great thoughts when they come. Sometimes they, we think it's just ourselves. And those are the thoughts we want to cherish, hold on to. They're thoughts from his word that we'll be reminded of by the Holy Spirit. They're thoughts of a direction that, uh, that we're grateful for because he gives it to us. But there are thoughts. Now, here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 10.4 when it talks about the importance of our, our thought life. We fight with weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemy's strong places. We destroy people's arguments and every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought and make it uh, and give it up to obey Christ. So, so we capture thoughts. Another version says we take them captive that set themselves up against the knowledge of God. This is the knowledge of God, his direction. If it's against the word, then we take it captive, that thought. We're not gonna buy into it. If it's against what Christ has shown us, then we don't buy into it. So we are responsible to manage our thought life. Some people think they just can't help it. They, they, you know, Whatever the thought is, uh, they, they have to uh, just receive it. Well, listen, I know from experience that a thought can come in, a temptation can come in, a thought to say words that shouldn't be spoken, and I can say, wait a minute, the word of God says this, and remind myself, and then say this to myself, I'm not going to receive that thought. I have the ability not to take it. I'm not gonna receive it, so I reject that thought because it sets itself up against the truth of God. I'm not gonna say that. Well, have you ever noticed, you know, when we, that kids don't seem to have the depth of worry in their lives, children. Talk about children for Jesus said, come before me as a child. And someone wrote this about how happy kids are. They're, they're not wrapped up in all these, this self-negative thought. An anonymous writer said, when I look at a patch of dandelions, I see a bunch of weeds that are gonna take over my yard. Kids see flowers for mom and white fluff you can wish on. When I look at a drunk and he smiles at me, I see a smelly, dirty person who probably wants money. Kids see someone smiling at them. And they smile back. When I hear music I love, I know I can't carry a tune. I don't have much rhythm, so I sit self-consciously and listen. Kids feel the beat and they move to it. They sing the words, and if they don't know them, they make up their own. 
I still do that. And then this writer says, when I feel wind on my face, I brace myself against it. I feel it messing up my hair and pulling me back when I walk. Kids close their eyes and they spread their arms and fly with the wind until they fall to the ground laughing. When I pray, I say thee and thou and grant me this and give me that. Kids say, hi God, thanks for the toys and my friends. Please keep the bad dreams away tonight. Sorry, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I would miss mommy and daddy. When I see a mud puddle, I step around it because I see muddy shoes and clothes and a dirty carpet. Kids sit in the puddle. (laughs) They see dams to build and rivers to cross and worms to play with. And then this writer, anonymous writer says, I wonder if we are given kids to teach or to learn from. Well, I thought when, I, when we had children that, that I, I was supposed to teach them, but I've learned so much about who God is and how God loves from my children. Things I never would have known. I know how God loves me because of the way I love them. I know that I want to have a forgiving heart and help them and bless them and pull them forward. And how much more does our Heavenly Father, who's perfect, have a heart to love? And it makes me realize how He loves me. Even when my my flaws are exposed uh, to, to, by, by my children at times. Uh, it's, it's a blessing because it, I want so much to, to bless them that it, it spurs me on to growth and, and good things for their sake. And here's what Jesus said, truly I say to you, Matthew 18, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, more about our thought life. We're supposed to take negative thoughts captive. Now, I'm going to share with you scriptures that show that we should dwell on good things. And we're responsible to manage these things in our own brains and hearts and minds. Philippians 4.8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, let me say one more thing as I close this letter. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice. Now, this is written by a guy named Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and most of the letters were written from prison. Here's a guy who kept his thought life in check. He didn't move to a place of depression. He could still carry the joy of the Lord in his heart. He still knew God had purpose in everything that that was going on, and as a result, God blessed us by using this man to write such wonderful things as we're reading. And he had put them into practice, and he says this, keep putting these things into practice, this good thought stuff. And all you learned from me and heard from me and saw me doing, and the God of peace will be with you. <clears throat> Let me talk to not only about, about negative thoughts uh, about others that we have to manage or situations, <clears throat> but I want to talk for a moment about negative thoughts you have about yourself. Sometimes the origin is someone told you you were, you were stupid or told you you wouldn't amount to anything when you were young. And, and sometimes we'll carry that stuff the rest of our lives. But God wants to help us because he feels very differently about you than you do if you're doing negative thoughts and negative self-talk. He cares about you. He loves you. Now, if you walk up on your child and your child is sitting there and, and, and they're so sad and they're saying all these negative things about themselves, I I don't like myself, nobody likes me, whatever it may be. And they're just, doesn't it hurt you to hear that? 
I mean, really, if you love your kids, can you imagine how God feels when he hears you talking negative about yourself and you're his child that he loves? And so I want you to manage your thoughts because you, you're gonna speak words negative about yourself if you don't manage those negative thoughts and say, here's what you have to do, take it captive. No, God loves me. It's true I'm not perfect. It's true I don't have it all together, but it's also true that he loves me. It's also true that he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And so we have to manage these thoughts with things that are good and true and lovely and admirable. Take those thoughts captive and say the right and the good things. Let's create another scenario. Rather, What about a person who's talking bad about you to others? What do you do in that situation? Because boy, we have to watch our thoughts and our words there, don't we? Well, there's several options. You can throw yourself a pity party. But here's the problem with pity parties. The only one who shows up is the devil to pity parties. And he, he will just sit on your shoulder and, and uh, make you think you're the worst and just uh, make you think everybody doesn't love you. And pity parties aren't, you know, that's, we're, we have to take that thought captive to just um, feel sorry for ourselves. You could go to the option of talking bad about the one who's talking bad about you. That's not right. We don't want to buy into that. You could call them and just chew them out personally and let them know how you feel about the situation. Well, that's, that's probably not the way to go. You could pray that God would impale them on a pitchfork, but I don't think he wants to, I don't think he wants to answer that prayer for you. I'm sure he's not going to. So what does the word say? We have to take thoughts like that captive. And to take it captive, you have to know the word of God. The word of God shows you what's right and good and true and lovely. And so we know we can't throw a pity party or we shouldn't go there because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, this is God speaking about you. I know what I'm planning for you, says the Lord. I have good plans for you, not plans to hurt you. I'll give you hope and a good future. So pity parties, not, don't go there. Just trust and believe what he says. Matthew 7, verse 2 says this, uh, for others will treat you as you treat them. So we don't want to talk bad about others, right? Because if that's the way we treat people, that's the way we're going to be treated. The, another scripture says, you always reap what you sow, Galatians 7. So we don't want to go talking bad about people because that's what will happen. People more and more will talk bad about us if that's what we're doing to others. You got to remember what God says. So you think of these other choices. So now you've had these bad thoughts and you say no to them because of the, the word of God that I've just read. You say, no, I can't do that. I'm not going to do it. And then you think of the other choices. I could lovingly confront them. Well, I think scripturally that, that's appropriate at times. The Lord could certainly speak that to our hearts at times so things get better. There has to be communication. I could pray for them. That's another thought you could have. I could do something nice for them. You go, wait a minute. Those things don't feel nearly as good as telling them how bad they are and what they've done wrong. Well, that's the thing with sin. Sin has short-term pleasure, but it always has attached to it long-term pain. Remember that about sin. Short-term pleasure, long-term pain. So we don't go there with, with those things. And, 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 and we, we, we follow another path. Proverbs 12, 18, or I'm sorry, uh, Matthew 18, 15 talks about uh, loving confrontation. It says, if another believer sins against you, against you, go privately and point out the fault. Privately, it says. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. There's a heart for reconciliation there. That's why you'd have loving confrontation. And that's appropriate at times, so that could be a thought the Lord gives. 
And how about praying for them? Luke 6, 28, pray for the happiness of those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. What? Well, that's what the word says. You say, that's not how I feel. Well, listen, if you'll deny your feelings and follow faith towards God's word, everything gets better for your life. And isn't that the point, that it would be good for you in your life? Here's the thought. What if that person never does the right thing? What if they never turn? What if they never repent? And, and you have attached to it that you, that, that, that you need them to do something for you to be okay? Now you can't be okay. You can be okay even if they never do the right thing. And the way you're okay and the way you get the peace of God is to follow the truth of his word. Romans 12, 19 says that we should be kind and giving in this respect. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God for it is written, I will take vengeance, I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. You say, well, people deserve to have something bad happen to them when they do something bad. Listen, aren't you glad, first of all, that God didn't give you every bit of punishment you deserve for your sin? And then secondly, aren't you glad that he's still a God of justice even though he's a God of mercy? Aren't you glad that though we can't know for sure if our management of these things would be just right when we go to people and we could mess it up by being uh, too rough, too harsh, too firm. But when we leave it in God's hands, he will take care of it. Instead, he says, do what the scriptures say. Now here it is about being, doing good things to those who've hurt you. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And they will be ashamed for what they've done to you. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. How does evil get the best of you? Revenge. Get them back. Boy, I'm telling you, that's just, that's just, uh, that's just soil for the seed of bitterness when you think of revenge all the time. But when you say, Lord, I trust you, I leave it in your hands. When you follow these truths of God's word, we could see that the other person's healed more quickly, reconciled, and things turn. And there are scenarios you think people could never be good, it could never turn. And if we follow God's truth, it turns at times. And boy, I like leaving that possibility open of things turning and healing and reconciliation and God doing uh, amazing things. But the other thing is you can trust by leaving it in God's hands. If there's punishment that's necessary, and God wouldn't say this if he didn't avenge things, by the way, but trust him. Leave it in his hands. He knows how to take care of these things. We don't. You say, but that stuff doesn't feel good. And I would say this, in the long run, it feels way better. It feels way better to follow God's truth. And here's why. Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, whose thoughts are fixed on you. And when you follow the truth of God, you get peace in your life. People can talk bad about you and you can evaluate, is there truth? There may be some truth to it but there may be a bunch of it that isn't true at all. It's a misunderstanding, misconception. And you can still have peace in your heart even if somebody's talking about you, even if things are going wrong because you've decided, Lord, I want to follow you. And you can smile and love as your day goes and you're not bound by bitterness because you have peace that comes from God. So we need to think positive thoughts. We need to correct those thoughts with the word of God and, and, and then we need to move towards positive words. And that's my second point. God wants us to say or to speak positive words. A good attitude means keeping a positive outlook. Who among us wants to go to work and hear a boss 
talk you down all day long. Who among us wants to go and hear our co-workers talk down? Have you ever had a job that was just terrible to go to? Because you knew that somebody didn't believe in you and that there was a negative environment all around. On the other hand, have you ever had one of those jobs that you just loved going to? Have you ever had a boss or uh, someone who's a superior in that workplace who really affirmed you on a regular basis and made sure that, they, that you were enjoying your day, that that was part of their focus as well? And those kind of jobs, you get up and you're ready to go. And people who put a crown just a few inches above your head, and even when you make a mistake, they'll call you forward and not talk you down. And say things like, hey, okay, you missed it there, but hey, you've hit it in a lot of places. You'll get it right, I know, I believe in you. Those kind of people you just want to be around all the time. Isn't it true? Think of the power of the positive words that create a positive atmosphere. Proverbs 18.21 says, what you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. Now, I'm a person that words have come very easy to me all my life. But it's taken me a long time. I'm getting better and better. I'm still not there to understand that not every thought that comes into my head should be spoken. One of the relationships that has seriously helped me in this respect is marriage, the marriage relation. Not everything I think should be spoken. I've learned that about, about marriage. I've learned that my, my wife is like a, a delicate flower. You know, if I, I, I'm not really good in the, in the garden. I, I, don't, I don't even like the, the garden, actually. I, I like lawn, but I don't like garden. And, but, but I noticed with those flowers, if you turn the water on full steam and hard and put it right on the flowers, that you'll just hammer them and they'll just wilt before your very eyes. But, but if you're delicate, and you know the people that are placed in our home, they're, 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 we're, we're all delicate to some degree, aren't we? The people in the environment of the workplace and the church, we're all delicate. We all can hurt. And if we go too hard at something... We just hurt people. And that's why God says, with your words, be completely careful. It's like, it, it's this word called edit in the, uh, in, in the media in, industry. And there's just a lot of thoughts we have that maybe need to be tweaked and edited and revised. How do you do that? You go to God and say, God, is that something you'd like me to say? And here's a thought for you. When you speak to people about what you think they need correction in, and and it's appropriate in the Bible. It's a sermon for another day. Correction, rebuke, instruction in in righteousness. The Bible said these, these things are appropriate. But when you speak to them, would you keep in mind the thought, this thought? How would I want someone to say this to me? If I had this problem, how would I want them to say it to me? Well, I guarantee you, you'll be nicer to yourself than you tend to be to others for the most part. And so the thought of, you know, understanding that that they have feelings and and that words bring life and death, we should be very careful. Proverbs 15, 4 says this, kind words heal and help. Cutting words wound and maim. And boy, you don't have to go further than to home to realize how painful people are. uh, their experiences have been in the home at times because negative words are spoken freely. It can go on from generation to generation, but here's the beauty. Did you know that if you lived in a home, you, you're, you're more vulnerable in a sense 
to the negative thoughts if you were raised in a home where negative words and thoughts were always released and spoken. We're vulnerable if we've been in that setting. However, isn't it wonderful to know that any one of us can take hold of these truths of God, speak these scriptures, and our lives can change and we can turn it so the generations to come only feel the blessing of the Lord. Kind words heal and help. There are certain people who think they don't have to be positive because all they're doing is keeping it real. They refer to their pessimism as realism. And they consider what they know to be superior intelligence because other people don't see like they do with special insight. Well, if you're being real, releases negativity with never positive things coming in, you're not being real, you're negative. And that environment, you are responsible, not only for yourself, but other people are influenced by the way you think, by the way you talk. So if keeping it real never has any real encouragement or real kind words, you're not keeping it real, you bought into a lie. And so we're responsible to, to, to be positive with our words and careful with our words. I think of a Christian man named Bob Jones. And, and by the way, let me say this. I'm going to give everybody here the benefit, benefit of the doubt. I think that, that you're a positive group. I really do. Uh, but I also think that any one of us, including myself, at any moment can fall back into a critical or a negative thought or a negative vein. And so we all have to fight this battle continually, don't we, with our words and our thoughts. And we have to be careful. And I'm sure Bob Jones had a lot of good moments. He's a Christian man who put together university, does curriculums, the the college does for, for schools nationwide. Uh, uh, and he, here's one of his weak moments, though, I want to share with you. President of Bob Jones University once pronounced to Billy Graham that he was a failure, telling him as a young man, you'll never amount to anything. I'll bet you Bob's sorry he said that. What do you think? <laughs> Why would you ever say anything like that to anybody? It, that Those kind of words should never, ever come out of our mouths. Because the Lord uses the weak to confound the wise. And after all, aren't we really the evidence of that? The fact that he uses any one of us at any moment, even with all of our flaws, is, is evidence that, that, he, that he uses the weak to confound the wise. And Billy Graham's done fine. He's done fine because he's had a humble heart that loves God. And we just need to be careful not to let things like that come out of our mouths. Proverbs 12, 18 says, some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. Now catch that. The words of the wise bring healing. I'll I'll never um, forget my little sister working at a nursery. This was years ago. And I asked her, how how do you like it? Uh, Child care. And she said, oh, I love it. She said, it's just so fun to build these kids up every day. And she said, come with me and watch this. She said, watch how these kids light up. And she grabbed three or four kids one at a time and she knelt down in front of them and she called their name and she'd say, hi, Ashley, how are you today? She'd say, good. She'd say, I love you. You are so special. And I'm telling you, you could just see Ashley light up. And it just made me smile and my heart was, heart was about to burst and she went from kid to kid saying that. Now I promise you, 
Ashley's had some bad moments in her life, okay? Probably. As a little girl, she was naughty a time or two. And yet, how do you think the mamas who drop Ash, uh, you know, the mamas who drop little girls like Ashley off, how do you think they feel when they know their kids are being affirmed and loved that way? The same way God feels when you affirm and love his kids. And they'll light up too, and everybody needs encouragement. And the words of the wise, the wise, the wise bring healing. Ask yourself this question. In saying what I have in mind, will I really improve the silence? And if not, maybe edit. Maybe just carve it out of there. Sometimes not saying anything. I, I, I pray a little different these days as I get older and more mature. I pray that the Lord will give me the words to say and help me know what not to say. Maybe some of you don't have to pray that prayer, but I have to pray that. Help me know what not to say, Lord. To be careful with my words. Henry Blackaby said this, a pessimistic leader is a contradiction in terms. Leaders, by virtue of their role, must nurture attitudes. Now, when you see leaders add, you know, interdisperse that term with influence and vice versa, Leaders, by virtue of their role, must nurture attitudes. No matter how difficult the task, a group of people led by the Holy Spirit can accomplish anything God asks of them. If you want to be a person of influence, you're going to have to have a positive attitude. You're going to have to manage your thoughts, your thought life. Take the wrong ones captive. Bring the right ones forward. Trust the truth of the word of God. And then speak positive words. Romans 8.31 talks about the difficult circumstances. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now nobody's saying, I haven't said once that there are no problems, that we should deny that there are problems and have positive confession to say, there, you know, someone's not in trouble and this isn't a bad situation. People who are people of influence assess the situation and they come up with the best case scenario to move forward to a good thing. So we can be real and say, this is tough. But we can also be positive and say, God, show us. Because when you're in it, you can change anything and make it good. And as we follow him and we keep our hearts humble and we focus people around us, our families, our children, the economics might seem really tough. You got to get your attitude together so fear doesn't grip the whole family. People naturally get discouraged in the midst of adversity. But the fundamental role of leaders is to help them see the positive in every circumstance and to move forward. Proverbs 18 says, the human spirit can endure a sick body, but who can bear it if the spirit is crushed? And if we're the people that sit around moping and complaining and sit around talking about how bad everything is, all we're going to do is crush spirits. But if we can move forward, have a good attitude, focus on what the Lord would give, and do the things he's calling us to do, we'll be people of influence, and it'll be good influence. I read about a family, Tilden Edwards writes this story about a family he knew. 
that was having some trouble quibbling with each other. Just negative criticisms on a regular basis. And they made a decision that on the Sabbath, on their Sundays, after they went to church and they were together that day, they were not going to say any criticism whatsoever about each other. Absolutely no criticism. They were going to manage it on Sundays. Now, that'd be good to manage every day of the week. But they went to Sunday, and it's a good, it was a good start. What they noticed is their friends, their children's friends, teenagers, were only coming over. They noticed this after several months on Sundays. And through time, they figured out that this would be great if it could permeate their, all of their lives. And the whole atmosphere changed in the home because they started with, let's don't say anything bad about each other. Boy, I'll tell you, it's hard enough out there in the world, isn't it? I mean, with your kids going to school, and there, there's some rough scenarios to be in. I mean, they don't, they don't always get affirmed out there by other little children or even other adults. The home needs to be a place that is safe, where someone believes in you, where positive words can be spoken. If all this seems so foreign and, you know, uh, hunky-dory, peachy-keen, too much of that kind of talk to you, um, I I just want to offer this thought to you. What if you just tried what I'm talking about this morning that comes from this Word of God? Maybe you don't want to let go of that realism that you you think you hold in your heart. But what if you just tried it, as the word says here? Here's what I think you'd find. It says in Psalms 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who trust in Him. Taste and see that He's good. When we follow this, when we taste, when we partake, we get to see a really good result like that family did. I have a a mentor. I I love him very much. His name is Denny Davis. He still still pastors. He pastored the People's Church where Pastor Randy and I worked together years ago. And I wasn't at this meeting, but I heard about it. Uh, there There were, I think, 16 or 17 pastors on staff at this church. And we'd have a meeting where we'd gather once a week and kind of strategize and look at things from budget to vision to direction and planning and implementing. And um, one day in the meeting, the children's pastor, whose name was Lena, had gone over budget on a regular basis for a a few months and um, was trying to struggle to bring that under control. And Denny, that was a big deal to Denny. And I, I think I can say this about Denny because Denny tells this story and, and I love him and, and I'm just saying, all of us can have weak moments, right? And we're all growing, right? My pastor, Denny, had a weak moment. And he said to, um, to Lena some real critical words in front, of, in front of other people about getting that thing under control and that's enough and she started to cry and it got quiet in the, in the room. And then Mike DeVito, who was the youth pastor then, I followed him. I think Randy was in this meeting. Uh, DeVito, who's just a wonderful guy. You, we've, we've had him here for, for some things before. And uh, I just love his heart and his spirit. He's a real positive guy, an encourager. And that, he cut the silence in that room with these words after Lennis started to cry. He said, but pastor, haven't you ever done that? Haven't you ever messed up there like that? 
And then he looked at him and looked at her and looked around. And he smiled and he said, yeah, I have. I have. Boy, we should remind ourselves of that, huh? Have I ever done that before? Why are we so easy on ourselves and so hard on other people? It's, it's just really interesting. What if we gave them the same thing we hoped that we would receive? Well, it changed the atmosphere in that room because Mike had the right word at the right moment. And Denny, who's done some amazing things in his life, just turned a corner and relationships stayed positive and things worked out. I like what Proverbs 25, 11 says, the right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. God, give me the right words to speak at the right time to my family members. Can I say this about uh, leadership? If you're expecting your boss at work to be perfect, there is nothing ahead for you except for disappointment. He or she cannot be perfect. If you're expecting the leaders in your church to be perfect, you're in for disappointment. We cannot be perfect. I'd like to be. I've been trying. I don't seem to be that close to it. If you find the perfect church out there, please don't join it because it won't be perfect anymore if you do. The truth is, there's no perfect churches, perfect leaders, perfect bosses. Cut them some slack. Love them. Encourage them. Believe in them. See, this encouraging kind words is not only something you speak to those that you can help, but to those that are trying to help you. Not just to those you're leading, but to those who are leading you. Well, God help us to have the right words for the right time that they might be beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. And then this last one. Third characteristic this morning that I want to share with you is God wants us to carry joyful hearts. So we got to manage our thoughts and have good thoughts. Hold on to those. Get rid of the negative ones. We've got to manage our words. Don't speak those negative ones. Get the positive but then we're, we're also responsible to manage our lives when it comes to this joy thing. Now, I know joy is a gift. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Those are gifts of God. But I'm telling you, a gift doesn't become yours until you unwrap it and take it. Open it up. And since God says that, that He has joy for you, love, joy, peace, these are things that He has for us, um, then we, then we got to open this gift. Here's what Proverbs 17.22 says. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Now, it sure seems like God would like us to have a cheerful disposition, doesn't it? Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. So I'm with a friend that I have. His name is George. And he's telling me a story about his mother he went to visit in Santa Barbara. She's 84. She's having some physical ailments. And George is a pretty positive guy. This whole cheerful disposition thing, he's worked at it, and he blesses people everywhere he goes with, with this joy in his heart. He's had some hard things in his life, but he keeps joy. So he's with his mom in Santa Barbara, and he says, Mom, how you doing? And she says, well, you know, son, I'm 84. I guess I'm okay, but I got aches and pains. And she started going through the, all this, and he goes, wait, 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 Mom. From now on, when someone asks you how you're doing, here's what I want you to say. 
I want you to say, I'm as happy as a monkey on a cupcake. I said, George, where'd you get that? He said, I made it up right there on the spot. So as they went through the next few days, people would say, Mom, how are you doing? And, or, or ask her how she was doing, and she'd say something derivative of, oh, I got these people. You'd go, hey, well, 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 we're not saying that anymore, Mom. What are we saying? She goes, I don't know, something about a monkey, and how's that go? And so he'd say, I'm happy as a monkey on a cupcake, happy as a monkey. Then he takes her to the bank before he's going to leave to the teller who usually works with her, and he says, now, young lady, I, I, I need you to do something for me. This is my mother. You know her. Every time she comes in, you ask her how she's doing. Now, here's what I want you to do for me. If she doesn't say, when you ask her how you're doing, I'm as happy as a monkey on a cupcake, then I don't want you to serve her or help her when she gets to this bank. And the lady's kind of, you know, thinking, hmm, this is weird. And So he says, now let's try it. So mom, she's been, you know, coached along now. And the teller says, how are you doing today, Mrs. Antiamatis? And with a loud, booming voice in this bank, she says, I'm as happy as a monkey on a cupcake. <laughs> and the teller started laughing, and the other teller started laughing, and everyone in the bank heard it, and it sounded weird to them, and they started laughing. You know, just this strange thing. And George said, one of the uh, ladies, young ladies, was laughing so hard that her child standing beside her was very concerned, like, what's wrong, mom? <laughs> now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the person beside you and say, I am as happy as a monkey on a cupcake. Would you just say that right now, please, just, just for me. <laughs> okay, all right. Some of you, you know, I know people have told me they don't like it when you say, say to the person beside you. So I'm giving you permission to say back to me, you're a monkey on a cupcake, all right? <laughs> I'll just give you permission to say that if you want to. I don't really know what that means, but I know it brought a little joy to your hearts. I could see you smile. I did see one fellow going, I'm not going to do it. I saw, I saw that out there. That's all right. We're just having fun. Psalm 68, but let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Did you know Jesus wanted us to have joy? John 15, 11, Jesus said, I've told you these things so that you can have the same joy I have. And so that your joy will be the fullest possible joy. Now, now I know for me that if I, if, if, that I can think negative about circumstances and go the wrong way. I can, just, just like everybody else. But if I'll sit down and, and think of the circumstances and then start to list everything around those circumstances and beyond that I'm thankful for and praise the Lord for the good things around me, my whole attitude changes. I mean, I can, uh, do, do we have trials and tough things that, you know, in, in this job, just like your job, everywhere we do. But when I think of all the good things, all the lives that are being changed, all the people that are loving other people. I mean, I turned around and looked at you guys worshiping this morning, and I thank God that I get to go to church here with people who are passionate about their, their love for Christ. And there's, there's so much good, and if I'll start to think of all the good things 
my whole perspective changes. It's not like I'm in denial. I can, I can know what's hard or difficult and still be grateful for all the good things. And now the whole perspective changed. I'm not bound. There's no ball and chain. There's just a heart that sees reality but knows God is good and he's going to get it done. And I'm responsible for managing my own joy, for taking that gift every day and unwrapping it that the Lord would give. During World War I, Winston Churchill lectured to some officers who would often be in the trenches with soldiers. And this is what he said. Laugh a little. Teach your men to laugh. If you can't smile, grin. If you can't grin, keep out of the way until you can. Now, I've had some days where I've had to work to get it together. And I just, I just have this thought. I'm not ready for public consumption. I got to get my heart and my attitude in the right place. I'm responsible for it. Well, it's not like self-help, pull your boots up kind of thing. It's get with God, get the right focus, be in the word, and come out of that scenario with the heart that's right. With joy for the day, because other people are influenced by the way you act when you're around them, by the way I act when I'm around them. So God, help us to take the joy that Jesus is talking about there in John 15, 11. Some might say, well, what about the hard times in life? Now, let me tell you this. When I talk about hard times, I'm talking about difficult circumstances. There are, there are major tragedies that it's very appropriate to grieve in. And, and grief is a whole, that's a whole different scenario than the sermon I'm speaking today. It is very appropriate to grieve the loss of loved ones. And, it's, and if you don't do it, uh, uh, you're going to be in trouble. We're going to miss people that we love, that we don't get to see. So, so that's a sermon for another day. So I'm talking about crises and circumstances that, that are within our, our, our ability to manage and, and bring to bear some change that's positive change. But when you face a difficult thing, like, like that second category, that the, the, these, these, it might be a relationship that's damaged. It, it might be a financial crisis. It, it might be a, a struggling company that needs to turn around. Keep this in mind, Psalm 28, 7, that joy is still appropriate in those circumstances. The Lord is my strength, my shield from every danger. I trust in him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. That is a person who's in a crisis. But they're turning to the Lord and he helps them and their hearts are still filled with joy. Why? Because in his presence is a fullness of joy. So we got to get in his presence. We get in his word. We, we commune. We talk with him. I'll close with this story about a missionary in Acapulco, Mexico. Sent there by the First Presbyterian Church in America. That's the name of the denomination. This was their very first missionary effort. They sent Dick Dye out. To Mexico. He'd been in Acapulco for two months trying to start a church. Whenever he got discouraged, he looked up at a cross he could see on a nearby mountain. And it encouraged him. Finally, he drove up the mountain to find out about the cross. And when he did, he found that it was attached to a huge hotel. So Dick Dye asked the secretary at the hotel, can I speak to the man who runs this establishment? She said, do you have an appointment? No appointment, I just want to tell him something. 
What do you want to tell him? I, I want to thank him. So she went and got the owner. And Dick Dye said to him, I'm a missionary from the United States. I'm here in Acapulco, and I've been discouraged. But I see that the cross, I see this cross, and when I'm down, I look at it, and it encourages me. And I drove up here today to thank you for putting this cross on your hotel. It's meant a lot to me. The man looked at Dye, he put his head down on the desk, and he began to cry. And he wept, and he wept, and he couldn't talk. This is the hotel owner. Finally, he raised his head and said this, that cross has been up there for years. All I've ever heard is criticism. You're the first man who ever said thank you. Now, I want to know who you are and what you need. I'm just a missionary, Dick answered. Where do you meet? We don't meet anywhere. I don't have any place to meet. That was part of his discouragement. The owner said, come with me, and he took him to a back room. As he opened the door, there was a beautiful chapel there that was created as a place of worship. He said, we currently meet here at 9 and 11. This is yours at 10. Your services start Sunday. You don't have to pay for this. That was the beginning of the very first church plant for the Presbyterian Church in America. Shortly after, four more congregations sprang up in that area. And here's a guy who was discouraged. And when he got discouraged, he would look up at the cross. And that cross became his salvation for his circumstances. And so whatever your circumstances are, I, I know this seems like a pat answer, but it is the only answer, and it is the best answer for every question and every problem. Jesus, the cross. You're hurt, Jesus, the cross. You need direction, Jesus, the cross. You want a relationship with a, a man or a woman, a marriage that will work, go to Jesus, the cross. Start there. Everything else flows from there. And when we start there, it's beautiful and there's provision beyond what we can imagine. So even when we're down, this joy, he's, we can fight for it and he, he'll give it to us as we turn to him. Psalm 43, 5. Why am I so sad? Why am I so upset? I put my hope in God and keep praising him, my Savior and my God. Why so sad? Why so upset? Put your hope in God. 